Well, good morning. So we are on the day of Pentecost, as Marcus said, and that's a day which is, I suppose, the birthday of the church when uh, God, in, in what Mark just read out, poured out his spirit on the, on the disciples and a group of about 120 or so people in the upper room and they're waiting for uh, God's promise of the Holy Spirit and boom, this happens. Um, pretty crazy and freaky stuff isn't it? You know, the sound of a violent wind and the room was shaking and tongues of fire coming down and um, people speaking suddenly in different languages and I suppose a bit of subtext, probably staggering out onto the street because they got accused of being drunk, you know, and going out and uh, doing crazy things and preaching to people and thousands of people coming to Jesus just a few verses after... Um, what Mark just read, you know, Peter gets up, he preaches, and and 3,000 people make a decision that day to follow Jesus and come into the church. We had a little bit of a session on that a few weeks ago, looking at um, what that early church began to look like. Um, and you just, it, it blows your mind that a group of feeble and slightly dejected and um, disillusioned disciples become this amazing power force that uh, saw thousands of people coming to Christ and, and actually were prepared, all of them, to die for the reality of God alive in them and the reality of the risen Christ and with boldness and with clarity declaring the truth about Jesus. It's just amazing. And uh, so we're going to look at who is this Holy Spirit. Um, uh, some stuff you might think, oh, that's a bit basic, Steve, but, you know, it's good sometimes to be reminded of some of the basic realities of what we believe. And I, so I just raised the question, who is the Holy Spirit? Um, and I, I would just say as a very first point, uh, we're talking about he, not it. So he and him and his, not it, it's and, you know, um, so we refer to the Holy Spirit as the Holy Spirit, just in the same way, I suppose, that we would say, praise the Lord instead of praise Lord. You know, it's just grammar. It's just the way the English language works. So that does not mean that we're not talking about a person. So the Holy Spirit is a person. He is a person within the Godhead, within the Trinity. Um, and he was promised by Jesus. And what I thought we'd do um, is because... When you read a chapter like what Mark has just read and you see all that crazy stuff going on and you're faced with the reality, let's be honest, that Christianity is a supernatural experience. It's not just a moral code. It's not just a nice way to live. It is a supernatural experience. Um, it can be a little bit like, ooh, it's a bit freaky, a bit weird, a bit strange. Um, and I think there are elements of uh, the church, perhaps not this church, but the church globally, that feel, or sometimes you read things about the Holy Spirit and feel a little bit like, oh, I'm not sure about that. Oh, it's all, I, was, I, I mean, I remember when I was growing up, they would um, often refer to the Holy Spirit as the Holy Ghost, you know, which is even more scary, isn't it? You know, talking about ghosts and, oh, spooky, spooky, spooky. And, and so I thought it'd be really good to just ground our understanding in who is the Holy Spirit in John 14, because this is Jesus 
I think, you know, we all trust Jesus, don't we? Um, so let's see what Jesus has got to say about the Holy Spirit and who he is and what he's going to do in the hearts and lives of believers. So I'm going to read the whole chapter. And, uh, and then we'll see what God says to us from that. So, Jesus, the way to the Father. Beginning of chapter 14. So this is the start of what we know as... Uh, the upper room discourse. This is the last real time that Jesus got to, to just hang out with his disciples uh, before he was taken off, arrested, uh, tried and crucified. So there is, in a sense, it's, it's his final words to the disciples. He says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. And you know the way to where I'm going. No, we don't, Lord, Thomas said. We've no idea where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. If you had any, if you had really known me, you would know who my father is. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the father and we will be satisfied. Jesus replied, I've been you all this, with, all you, with you all this time, Philip, and yet you still don't know who I am. Anyone who has seen me has seen the father. So why are you asking me to show him to you? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I speak are not my own, but my Father who lives in me does his work through me. Just believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe because of the work you have seen me do. I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me will do the same works that I have done and even greater works because I'm going to be with the Father. You can ask for anything in my name and I will do it so that the Son can bring glory to the Father. Yes, ask for anything in my name and I will do it. If you love me, Obey my commandments and I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. This world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognise him. But you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. No, I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come to you. Soon, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Since I live, you also will live. When I'm raised to life again, you will know that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me. And because they love me, my Father will love them. And I will come uh, and I will love them and reveal myself to each of them. 
Judas, not Judas Iscariot, but the other disciple with that name, said to him, Lord, why are you going to reveal yourself only to us and not to the world at large? And Jesus replied, all who love me will do what I say. My father will love them and we will come and make our home with each of them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey me. And remember, my words are not my own. What I'm telling you is from the Father who sent me. I'm telling you these things now while I'm still with you. But when the Father sends the advocate as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and remind you of everything I've told you. I'm leaving you with a gift peace of mind and heart and the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give so don't be troubled or afraid remember what I told you I am going away but I will come back to you again if you really love me you would be happy that I'm going to the father who is greater than I am I've told you these things before as they uh, before they happen so that when they do happen you will believe I don't have much more time to talk to you because the ruler of this world approaches. He has no power over me, but I will do what the Father requires of me so that the world will know that I love the Father. Come, let's be going. There's just a few things that I wanted to pick up from this. I mean, it's just an incredible chapter. The whole of the Upper Room Discourse, John 14, 15, 16 and 17, is just beautiful. It shows the heart of the Father for Jesus, the heart of Jesus for the Father, the heart of God for his people, uh, how the Holy Spirit plays into all of that in helping us to live for him and the reality of salvation. It's just an incredible um, set of chapters. And so actually we could spend the whole afternoon uh, just on this. So we won't do that. We'll spend like the next 15, 20 minutes. But Jesus said, then he says that he wants us to trust him. This is right before a major trauma is about to take place. Jesus is about to be arrested, is about to be beaten, mocked and hung on a tree and crucified. And the disciples who have been thinking, this is the Messiah who's come to rescue us. They've spent the last three years with him every day, listening to his teaching, watching his miracles, being a part of his ministry, are about to watch him get beaten and mocked and have the beard ripped out of his face and covered in blood and whipped. And so their skin's hanging off his back and hung on a cross. And Jesus is preparing them for the fact that they are going to have to continue the work of his ministry, continue the work of the kingdom without his physical presence with them. Imagine you're, you know, you've got a a childminder, you know, just imagine we were thinking, okay, we're we're going to um, have an afternoon once a week where, you know, we we go to a childminder. So we, we just chuck Lottie in the car and throw around with a childminder who she's never met, knock on the door, say in you go and drive away. Do you think that would be a successful afternoon? Probably not. She is an extrovert. 
But actually, if she wasn't aware of who she was going to be dropped off with and not given an introduction and not actually spent some time with them in our presence and developed a relationship of trust and awareness of who they are, then, you know, she's going to feel some significant separation anxiety as we get in the car and drive away. And Jesus is saying, I'm not going to physically be with you, but the Holy Spirit is going to descend on you. You need to wait for him. He's going to descend upon you and you, in the way that I have been doing this ministry, listening to the Father and carrying out his work, you are going to be doing the same thing. So don't worry. Have peace of mind and heart, trust in me. There's room in the Father's heart and in the Father's house for you. You are welcome and loved and wanted. And you can trust the work of the Holy Spirit as much as you can trust me, Jesus is saying. So whatever I've said, the work that I've been doing among you, You can trust the Holy Spirit. I'm going to send you a gift. And he's going to enable you to do what I've been doing. Trust in me. It's going to get pretty hectic in the next few days, but trust in me. And I love the fact that he even predicts his resurrection. He predicts his return. All of it is there. Trust in him. The second thing is that the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are one. I mean, we know this. We call this the Trinity. This relationship playing out in front of us. Jesus only doing what he sees the Father doing. The Father only being accessible through the Son. The Spirit leading us into all truth. In this relationship of the Godhead, there is perfect harmony and complete unity. And these chapters are just beautiful expression of that, re- that relationship that goes on between the Father and the Son and the Spirit. And the reality that all of them are honouring of each other and they are equally God. None of them can be removed from the Trinity. None of them can be sidelined. None of them can be considered to be insignificant or unimportant. None of them can be overemphasised. It's not possible. Perfect harmony, complete unity. There's a great passage, actually. Andy referred to it last week, where Jesus... Uh, what's known as the Jesus Manifesto, when he gets up in Luke 4, 18, and he reads from Isaiah 61, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor, to proclaim freedom for the captives, recovery of sight for the blind, and to declare the year of the Lord's favour. And in that moment, Jesus is basically, he said he only does what he sees the Father or hears the Father doing. He's there as the Son, And he's declaring in that passage that what he does is by the power of the Holy Spirit. He says, the Spirit of the Lord is on me. So Jesus, who is in himself completely divine and completely human, God in the flesh, 
is expressing in that picking up of Luke, uh, in Luke 14, picking up Isaiah 61, the spirit of the Lord is on me. He's saying, you know what, what I do, I do because I hear the Father telling me to do it and I step out in the power of the Holy Spirit to do what I do. And that's really important for us to get our heads around when we think of Jesus. Jesus only did what he saw the Father doing and he did what he did in the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus didn't do anything independently. Nothing. I mean, you know, he might have gone to the loo or, I don't know, did a bit of carpentry. He might have, you know, if he needed to cut the hedge, I suppose you can... You know, he might have attempted to do that independently. I don't know. But what he did, he did by listening to the Father and allowing the power and the work of the Holy Spirit to flow out through him. Not doing anything independently. So neither should we. Jesus said in John 15, 5, just the next chapter, he says, without me, you can do nothing. Every moment, listening. Every moment, aware of him. Every moment, surrendered to him. Surrender to his empowering, surrender to his voice, surrender to his work being done and accomplished in and through our lives. And I reiterate what I said right in the very first couple of minutes. Because Christianity is supernatural. In verse 12 to 14, Jesus then goes on to point out that his works that he's been doing are proof that he is God. And I know he'd grown up as a carpenter. I'm sure he's not talking about a, a, you know, a selection of furniture that he'd got in his house. Uh, or you know, he'd never won the Nobel Peace Prize. He'd never done any sort of military conquest. Uh, he'd not built a local school or any of those things. Um, you know, the works that Jesus is referring to are the supernatural works, the signs and wonders and miracles of the work of the kingdom. That's what Jesus is referring to when he says, pointing to his works and say, well, if you don't think that I'm God, look at the things that I have done. Now, there are 37 uh, documented miracles in the New Testament of Jesus, specifically documented. So they're things like, you know, the turning water into wine, uh, the healing of Jairus' daughter, the man who was paralysed and brought down through the roof. There was the man at the pool of Siloam. There was the woman with the issue of blood. There was, you know, there's, there's 37 that are recorded for us in detail. But then there's also throwaway sentences like, and everyone in the village came and they were all healed. Or God, you know, he, set, he walked into someone and all the, the, the when Jesus, when he sent out the 72 and he said, I saw Satan fall from the sky like lightning. You know, the, there was authority over the work of the enemy, over the, the bondage of the enemy over people's lives. In fact, in John 21, verse 25, he says, um, if, 
I doubt that there would be enough books to be able to record all of the things that Jesus did. So Jesus is like, the works that I've been doing to set people free, to bring freedom, to bring hope, to bring healing, bear proof that I'm God and you are going to do greater things than that. You're going to do the same things and even greater things than that. And I just think it's really important for us to dwell on this for a moment. Why is that important? It's important, let's draw back to Luke 4.18, because Jesus came to bring freedom for the captives. He came to bring recovery of sight to the blind. He came to set the captives free, to bring hope and to bring life. And it's really important for us, as God's representatives, to be able to offer more than a hand on the shoulder. Imagine if, I don't know, one of the people, blind Bartimaeus, let's take that example. And, oh, gosh, this, the, sorry about, blind Bartimaeus, right? So Jesus is walking into the town. Blind Bartimaeus is like, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus looks at him and says, well, God bless you. You know, here's a, here's, a, here's a silver coin. Go and get yourself a cup of tea. And uh, somebody, would somebody help him with his, maybe he needs some clean clothes. There you go. Well done. Um, sorry about your blindness. But the kingdom of God isn't fully come yet. So, you know, I'll be on, your, I'll be on my way. And he carries on down the road. I mean, it wouldn't have been recorded in the, in the Bible, would it? Jesus didn't do that. He, he healed the man's blindness. See, people need God's intervention. There are people that we are having weekly contact with, in, in, and not just like the things that we do in this building, but in our lives, you may work in a classroom, you may work in an office. And the people that we rub shoulders with, the people that we do life with, they desperately, desperately need the reality of Luke 4.18 in their lives. They need the reality of God in me bringing freedom, bringing hope, bringing transformation into their lives. They need breakthrough. And yes, they need a listening ear. And yes, they need a hand on the shoulder. And yes, they need encouragement. But they also need the inbreaking of the Spirit of God to bring freedom into their lives. Recovery of sight to the blind, where there is people bound in chains of all kinds of addiction and addictive behaviour. People who have the, the scars of the work of the enemy in their lives. People who are suffering from constant pain or chronic illness. People with a terminal diagnosis. There's all sorts of people who desperately need God. And we don't always have the answers as to why miracles don't always happen. But we should hunger them. We should hunger 
for God to be at work more and more and more in our lives. We should take a hold of this promise that Jesus made. He said, look at the works I've done. It's proof that I'm God. And greater things than those will you do because I go to the Father. We have to ask ourselves the question if there's a gap between what Jesus has promised there and what we experience in our lives. There are, I suppose, three possible explanations. One is that this passage either isn't true or it isn't relevant to us. Therefore, Jesus is only speaking to the people who's in the room with him and, you know, there's no other relevance to anybody else outside of that group of people. Well, the fact that there were two billion people on the earth who followed Jesus, the fact that there have been, there's been the work of God's spirit taking place all over the earth for the last 2,000 years is evidence that what Jesus is saying there is not only for those group of people that he is speaking with. The second explanation possibly is that Jesus is lying. He says that I'm going to give you the advocate, he says, greater things that I have done will you do because I go to the Father. He says, without me, you can do nothing. But he's just lying or he's just like, well, he, I, I, I won't bother sending the Holy Spirit. I just leave him to it. Or the third, and I think it's the only, only other logical explanation, is that we aren't living in the fullness of what is available to us. And that should be something that stirs us and causes our hearts to burn with desire for God. That's not like a, what a useless bunch are we? That is a, you know what? God, would you be doing the things that you have promised? Would you stir in us a hunger and a desire for you? Would you identify in our hearts, in our belief systems, in our behaviour, in our lifestyles, anything at all that is inhibiting the work of your spirit in our lives? Will you identify it and will you help us to get those things out of the way so that we can walk freely as representatives of the kingdom and we can live out this good news? There are some really significant keys. Obviously, the spirit is our advocate, the paraclete, is another word that can be used for that, which is someone who comes alongside to, uh, to, to be there with us. We're not alone. Oh, here he comes. <laughs> um, there was a sound of a violent wind. <laughs> um, we're not on our own, and we're not supposed to do this stuff on our own, with our own strength, with our own abilities. It is him, it is all him, and it's about our openness, our desire, our hunger, our surrender to him and his work in our lives. And making space in our gatherings, in our personal lives, in our mornings. And just even saying, spending five minutes saying, Holy Spirit, would you just be God in my life today? Be God in and through my actions and my words. Be God in my office, in my classroom, wherever I am. God, would you rule and reign and, and do the work of your kingdom in and through my life. Cause me to be hungry for you.
Now, there are other keys, I think, that Jesus uh, gives us in this John 14 passage. Uh, one that's uh, the biggest, the one that's mentioned the most in the chapter is mentioned in verse 15, verse 21, verse 23, and verse 24. And that is obedience. If you love me, you'll do what I say. If you love me, we will come to you. If you love me, if you obey me, if you do what I say, you'll see these greater works being done in and through your lives. And that's a challenge for us. You know what, God, would you identify in me areas where I'm walking in disobedience and help me to lay that down? In verse 26, it's about listening doing what we hear him do, allowing him to take the lead, allowing him to teach us, to train us, to lead us into all truth. It's about surrendering to the work of the Spirit, trusting in the promise of the Father and of Jesus that the Spirit of God will come to us. Accept what he wants to pour out over our lives and take the time to receive what he wants to do in us. A big key is waiting. Jesus said in Acts 1, just before he ascends into heaven, verse 4 of chapter 1, do not Leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised, as I told you before. John baptised with water, but in just a few days, you will be baptised with the Holy Spirit. So when the apostles uh, were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, the time has come for you to... F- when is the- Lord, has the time come for you to free uh, Israel and restore our kingdom? He replied, the Father alone has authority to set those dates and times and they're not for you to know. And that's really interesting, actually. We spend a lot of time and energy thinking about, oh, well, to be honest, trying to unpack what revelation means. And Jesus is like, you know what, actually, that's not necessarily for you to know, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Let's, let's be people who keep the main thing the main thing. And that is the truth of Jesus, the reality of Jesus, the reality of his love for people. That Jesus manifesto, the spirit of the Lord on me to preach good news to the poor, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour, to speak recovery of sight to the blind, to free the captives. Let's allow that mantle, that mandate, that reality to rest upon us today because that's the reality of the gospel Jesus we thank you that you didn't 
abandon us as orphans. I thank you that your ministry wasn't a flush in the pan, three years, bish, bash, bosh, let's get out as quick as we can. But that you gave of yourself and that it was always your plan for the work of your kingdom to be established and to be continued through your church. And help us, Lord, to to be people who pray like you commanded us to pray, to pray, Lord, let your kingdom come. We recognise that there are casualties of war. We recognise that we are still on earth. We recognise that your kingdom came when Jesus came but has not fully come. And we live in this awkward space in the mid-time where your will is not always carried out, where your glory is not always on display. But Father, we pray, Lord, let your kingdom come. I pray, Father, that you would stir in us a hunger for your presence, stir in us a hunger and a desire for the work of your spirit in our lives, that we would live lives of obedience, lives of listening, lives of surrender, lives of trust, lives which accept and receive what you have for us.